Good afternoon, Sunday Scoop Classic listeners. I'm your host, Marcia. Our topic for today is the promise of Messiah's forerunner. So sit back and relax and enjoy a biblical journey. Have some coffee or tea. Bring pen, paper, and a Bible if you would like to take some notes. Our lesson text is Luke 1, verses 8 through 20, related scriptures, Genesis 18, 9 through 15, Genesis 25, verses 20 through 28, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, Matthew 11, 9 and 15. The time is 7 or 6 BC, and the place is Jerusalem. The golden text, thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And that's coming from Luke 1, verse 13 through 14. So, in my introduction, why do many believers who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ lack the confidence to trust him? According to our lesson, this is not just a New Testament concept. Zechariah, an Old Testament priest who walked blamelessly in sight of God, still couldn't trust him to answer his prayer. He allowed his natural state to eclipse his faith. However, this didn't stop God from preparing for the Messiah's coming. In this week's lesson, we will be reminded that even though Zechariah found it hard to believe, God would still put a forerunner in place to lead the way for the Savior's ministry. So with our lesson background, Luke began his task as relating the events of Jesus' life carefully and systematically by placing them in the proper historical settings. The first news of Jesus' advent came during the days of Herod, the king of Judah, and you could find that in Luke 1 and 5 and also in Luke 1 verses 1 through 4. When Israel was downtrodden by foreign authorities, Herod was a harsh uh, Edomite puppet king who served the Roman Empire. Surely the time was ripe for a divine message, especially since there had been no word from the Lord to Israel since the last prophet Malachi, who prophesied 400 years earlier. In this atmosphere lived a godly Jewish couple from the tribe of Levi, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Although they had walked faithfully before God, he had withheld children from them, and now they were advanced in age. And you can find that in Luke 1, verse 6 and 7. Elizabeth had probably long before resigned herself to carry the social stigma of childness for the rest of her life. This is where our lesson begins. So in verse 8 of Luke 1, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, the pronoun he 
And this verse refers to Zechariah. The phrase, and it came to pass, can also mean one day or at some point in time. Luke begins by saying that one day while Zechariah executed the priest's office before God and the order of his course. The words executed the priest's office before God means that Zechariah served as priest in the temple. The phrase in, in the order of his course means that he served in the appointed order of his, of his priestly division and he was on duty that week. At this time, there were about 20,000 priests throughout the country, far too many to serve in a temple at one time. Therefore, the priests were divided into 24 separate groups or divisions of about 1,000 per division, according to David's direction. And you can find that in First Chronicles 24, verses 3 through 19. Zechariah was a priest from the course of Abba. And you can see that in Luke 1, verse 5, which was one of the 24 divisions of priests established in the days of David. And you can find that in First Chronicles 24, verses 10 and 19. Each of these courses or divisions of priests served in the temple about twice a year for a week on each occasion. In verse 9 of Luke 1, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The phrase, according to the custom of the priest's office, refers to the practice of the priest's specific duties being assigned by lot, which was a way of making decisions in Bible times, similar to drawing straws or casting a pair of dice to determine what course of action or direction to follow. And you can find that in Leviticus 16, verses 8 through 10, also in Jonah chapter 1 verse 7 and Acts chapter 1 verse 26. In spite of the many references to casting lots in the Old Testament, uh, nothing is known about the actual lots themselves. You can see that in Numbers 26 verse 55, also chapter 33 verse 54, chapter 34 verse 13, chapter 36, verse 2, and, and Joshua chapters 14 through 21, First Chronicles 24, verse 5, and also 31, chapter 25, and First Chronicles, verses 8 through 9, and chapter 26 and First Chronicles 13 through 14. They they could have been sticks of different lengths, flat stones like coins or some kind of dice, but what they were is unknown. On this particular day, Zachariah's lot was burned instant when he went into the temple of the Lord. In other words, however lots were cast to determine who would burn instant, this time 
the lot fell on Zechariah. So it was his turn to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The altar of incense was inside the temple, but in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was the holy place that Zechariah entered into to burn incense. Burning incense was an offering that symbolized prayer and was done by the priest in the morning and evening each day. It looks as if it was the pure chance that Zechariah was chosen for his, this ministry on this occasion. However, as in other scriptural events, God had determined the outcome of the lot. And you can find that in Proverbs 16, verse 33, and also in Joshua 7, 14 through 21, 1 Samuel 10, 20 through 24. Since God controls how the lot fell, he wanted Zechariah to be the one to offer incense at this time so he could receive a crucial message from heaven. In verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without, without at the time of incense. So Zechariah, while Zechariah entered this sanctuary with incense, a large crowd of faithful Jews were gathered outside in the temple courtyard, praying and waiting for the priest to come back out out once he had completed his duties. Burning incense on the altar and the holy place symbolized Israel's prayers. The rising of the perfume smoke from the altar of incense signified going up of their prayers to God. And in verse 11, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and this verse goes on to say God chose this moment when Zechariah was representing the entire Jewish nation to send his angel with a message for both him and them Luke writes that there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord this angel would later indefinitely identify himself to Zechariah as Gabriel and you can find that in Luke verse chapter 1, verse 19. The same angel who appeared to Mary in Nazareth six months later, the angel appeared to Zechariah standing on the right side of the altar incense. This would have been the south side of the temple. The altar of incense faced east and directions would have been given from the standpoint of one looking east from the altar. Luke's inclusion of where the angel was standing confirms the reality of the angel appearance. This was no fantasy or hallucination. The angel was really standing before Zechariah. In verse 12, and Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fell upon him. Okay, in verse 12, it's stating that um, Zechariah was troubled. The priest 
reaction to the angel's appearance was predictable. Luke said that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Nothing what the angel's present meant. It was only natural for Zachariah to be agitated and afraid. So in 13, but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call him John. The angel sought to remove Zechariah's fear with the words, Fear not, Zechariah. It's interesting that these were the first words from heaven in 400 years. What a contrast this was to the last words of the Old Testament. Least I come and smite the earth with a curse. You could see that in Malachi 4 and 6. God had been silent for four centuries, but now that he was speaking again, he sent the message of hope. Zechariah had good reason not to be afraid because the angel also said, Thy prayer is heard. This probably refers to Zachariah's lifelong prayer, offered repeatedly asking that he and Elizabeth might have a son. As part of the answer to his prayer, the angel continued to say, And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call him John. Gabriel even told Zechariah not only that they would have a son, but also that his name was to be John, which means the Lord is gracious or the grace of the Lord. Every time these parents would say his name, they would be reminded of God's grace shown by miraculously giving a child to a woman who was barren and beyond childbearing age. John would be God's gift to grace not only to Zachariah and Elizabeth, but also to all of Israel, whom he would prepare for their promised Messiah. In verse 14, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Not only would John's birth bring joy and gladness to his parents, Gabriel added that many shall rejoice at his birth, the joy and gladness that Zachariah and Elizabeth would enjoy would spread to others, including family, friends, and many who understood or would come to understand that John's role in God's plan was to introduce the Messiah. And verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's room. Gabriel now gave the reason why John's birth would bring widespread joy. He said, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Humans have different measures of greatness, which include eloquence, prestige, wealth, power and influence. While John would temporarily enjoy some of these, most of his generation wouldn't consider him great. But God has his own standards of greatness, and John achieved them all.
According to Jesus, John was greater than all of the prophets for his ministry of introducing the Messiah was was more important than any of their ministries. And you can find this in Matthew 11, verses 9 through 10. Jesus also said among them that are born of woman, there has not risen a greater one than John the Baptist. And you could find that in Matthew 11 and 11. John would have the greatest privilege of any man, and he would fulfill his role with integrity. The angel also said that John should drink neither wine nor strong drink. This was one of the requirements for the Nazarite, a person who was specifically set apart to God's service by a vow or promise. And you can find that in Numbers 6, verses 2 through 6. John would be set apart to the life of a Nazarite, which forbade the use of wine or strong drink. In most cases, this life was voluntarily and temporarily, and you can find that in Numbers 6, verses 1 through 2. 12. John would be a Nazarite set apart unto God from everything that is polluting. He would be as Samson was by the divine precept. And you can find that in Judges 13, verse, verse 7. And Samuel by his mother's vow. And 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. A Nazarite for life. In accordance with this unique calling, Gabriel also said John should be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. In other words, John chose him and equipped him from his conception. He would be abundantly fitted and qualified for those great and intimate services to which in due time he would be called to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Is to be controlled and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. John experienced this from the very beginning of his existence. The New Testament distinguishes between having or being full of the Holy Spirit. And you can see that in Acts 6 and 3 as Jesus was. And you can see that in Luke 4 and 1, which is true of every believer and excuse me, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the Christian's duty and privilege. And you can find that in Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14, and also in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and therefore full of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is a special endowment given by God to enable a believer to accomplish a special task. And you can see that in 1 Samuel 10, verse 6, Luke 1, verses 6 through 7, Acts 2 and 4, Acts 4 and 8, Acts 13, 8 through 10. For a special assignment or duty. In the Old Testament, this feeling was periodic and not permanent. And you could see that in Judges 13 through 25, also Judges 14 and 6 and verse 19, and also 
Judges 15, verses 14 through 15, Judges 16, 20 through 21, Judges, and also Judges 16, 28 through 30, and also Psalms 51 and 11. In other words, in the Old Testament, a person was filled with the Holy Spirit in order to perform feasts of strength or give them special guidance. However, Luke described Jesus as being filled with the Holy Ghost, and you can find that in Luke 4 and 1. All others who Luke described as being filled with the Spirit publicly proclaimed Jesus as Savior, Lord, and Messiah. You can find that in Luke 1, verses 41 through 43, and also in Luke 1, verses 67 through 75, and Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. When John experienced the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit, he would do the same thing. In verse 16, and many of and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. During John's ministry, the angel Gabriel declared that many of the children of Israel he shall turn to the Lord their God. The Greek word for turn here is commonly used in the New Testament to describe spiritual conversion or salvation. And you can find that in Acts 9 and 35, Acts 11 and 21, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 16, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 19, 1 and 9, I apologize. It's 1 Thessalonians 1 and 9. The angel was saying that John will be instructed for the conversion of many souls to God and preparing them to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. John would also be a prophet. His call to the people to repent is detailed in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Notice that Gabriel said that many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord, not all of Israel. This describes John's future ministry as preparing a remnant for God. Many of the Old Testament prophets had turned their people back to God in times of apathy, and that's spelled A-P-O-S-T-A-S-Y. And John would do the same in preparation for the coming Messiah. Many people in that day looked for a Messiah who would lead them politically and militarily to overthrow their Roman oppressors. But John's task would be reminding them that the Mosaic kingdom, though real, also spiritual and required spiritual preparation. So in verse 17, And he shall go before him, and the spirit and power of Eliza to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And in 17, um, 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord with the phrase, and he shall go before him, Jesus Christ and the spirit and the power of Elijah. The angel allured to the prophecy and Malachi, which described that the Lord would send a messenger before him. And you could find that in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Of course, the pronoun him here refers to Messiah, Jesus Christ, that, that John would pave the way for the Messiah and the spirit and power of Eliza means that like Eliza, Eliza's or Elijah, John would be empowered by the spirit of God. John would be like Elijah and do such work as Elias did. Like Elijah, John would preach the necessity of repentance and reformation to a very corrupt and degenerate age. He would also, like Elijah, be bold and uh, zealous and reproving, reproving sin and witnessing against it. And you could find that in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, and Luke uh, also in Luke 3, verses 7 through 8 and 18 through 20. In addition, John would be hated and persecuted for his message by Herod and his wife, Herodices. And you could find that in Mark 6, verses 14 through 29. Just as Elijah was by Ahab and his wife Jezebel. The power of the Holy Spirit would be evident in John's ministry because his preaching would first turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. The phrase turn the hearts means to reconcile, which includes repentance. And speaking of reconciling the hearts of parents to the children, like Luke is indicating that reconciliation with God will produce reconciliation elsewhere. When God touches a life, relationships with others on this earth are also touched and changed. Second, Gabriel said that John's preaching will also turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. This is probably a reference to Gentiles who were considered disobedient because of their failure to reconcile the God of Israel. As a result of John's message, their hearts will be turned to the faith of Christ, here called the wisdom of the just. The Old Testament often equates sinfulness with folly and godliness with wisdom. You can find that in Proverbs 1 and 7 and also Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 6. Therefore, to turn from disobedience means to, for, to forsake folly or foolishness and embrace the wisdom that all just people possesses. John preaching would cause many people to change the direction of their lives in this way. And in so doing, they would become a people prepared for the Lord. It's significant that the words of people prepared may include many people from Israel, but was not to be simoniously with Israel alone because many Jews would reject John's message. 
many non-Israelites or Gentiles will also eventually become part of this, of this prepared people for the Lord. John's primary work will be calling people to repent, to repent so that they would be prepared to recognize and receive Israel's Messiah and Savior, whom John would proceed and introduce. You could find that in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12, Luke 3, 1 through 18. John would be the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And you could see that in Luke 3, verses 4 through 6, and Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Verse 18, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. The message from the Lord that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a child was too much for Zechariah. He simply couldn't believe all this would happen. So he asked the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. By asking whereby shall I know this? Zechariah was really asking, How can I be sure that this will happen? In light of the fact that he and his wife were both old, an angelic announcement was not good enough. He wanted an additional sign to assure him that his wonderful message was true. But we should always be careful for what we ask for because we just might get it. Zechariah would get his sign as we shall see later. As much as we can sympathize with Zechariah, we can't excuse his unbelief. His request for a sign revealed a lack of faith that was inexcusable for a seasoned follower of the Lord. Had he never heard that the Lord had done for Abraham and Sarah, didn't he know how God had overcome the barrenness of Rebekah, Rachel, and Hannah? Zechariah was a godly priest, but like many godly saints, he failed in faith when a, difficult test, when a difficult test faced him. His doubt reminds us that none of us achieve perfect trust during this lifetime. However, when things seem impossible and hopeless and we, can, and we are tempted to give up, we can still trust God and his word, which never fails. God himself declared, so shall my word be that goeth forth out my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto, whereto I sent. And you could find that in Isaiah 55 and 11. So in verse 19, in response to Zechariah's request for a sign, the angel identified himself, saying, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. The name Gabriel can mean either man of God or God is great. He and Michael are the only two angels whose names are given in Scripture. 
They are both archangels of the highest rank. And you can find that in Daniel 8 and 16, Daniel 10 and 13, and also in 21, Daniel 12 and 1, and Jude 1 and 9. Gabriel told Zechariah that he stood in the presence of God, meaning that his normal position was beside the throne of God. His name, rank, and position meant that what he was saying was the truth. Every devout Jew knew about Gabriel from, from Daniel 8.16 and 9.21, where he is identified as one of God's chief messengers. Gabriel then said to Zechariah that he was sent to speak unto thee and to shew thee these glad tidings. In other words, he had been sent from the very presence of God to bring Zechariah glad tidings of good news concerning the imminent birth of their son. And verse 20, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my word, which shall be filled in their seasoning. Zechariah had requested a sign that Gabriel's message would come to pass. God did give him a sign, and Zechariah was the sign. The angel said that the sign would be that thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. The word dumb here means that he would not only be able to speak, but it appears that he would also be deaf, unable to, t to hear, for his friends had to use signs in order to communicate with him. And you can see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 62, as well as he to them. And that's in Luke 1, verse 22. Zechariah will remain in this condition until the day that these things should be performed. In other words, he will be both deaf and dumb until eight days after John was born. And you can find that in Luke 1, verses 57 through 64. Gabriel told Zechariah that he will be dumb because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Although this was a sign that the angel message was true, it was also Zechariah's punishment or chastisement for his failure to believe God's divine words, which would certainly be fulfilled in their season, meaning at the proper time. And making Zechariah dumb, God dealt justly with him because he had objected to God's word. Therefore, we should admire and be grateful for the grace, mercy, and patience of God toward his toward us, since we who have often spoken in unbelief have not been struck down being dumb as Zechariah was, and God has not dealt with us accordingly to our sins. And you can find that in Psalms 103, verse 10. Zechariah, as righteous as he was, needed to learn that God will fulfill his promise when he sovereignly chose to act. The God of heaven 
may even do things out of the ordinary. The major lesson in this announcement, in this announcement for Zechariah, as well as for Luke readers, is that God will do what he promises in his own way and time. To drive the point home, God made Zechariah temporarily deaf and dumb. This short-term judgment from God allowed this priest to think about what he needed to learn. As Luke, as in Luke verses, chapter 1, verse 64 and 67 through 79, it shows Zechariah did learn from his time of silence. The angel was explicit that, explicit that the reason for Zechariah's muteness was because he did not believe the angel's word, which were really God's words. Sometimes we experience trials and hardships so that we can learn to trust God more. In conclusion, Gabriel's function was to prepare for the coming of the Messiah by making announcements to the people involved. In this week's lesson, we reviewed this special angel visit to the aged priest Zechariah. He failed to believe God's promise to honor his prayer request and give him and his wife Elizabeth a son. As a result of his unbelief, God made him unable to speak until after John was born. Our lesson this week has reminded us that although God can be a long time silent and seemingly unconcerned about his people, he has a plan that will surpass any of our expectation. It also warns us that when God has revealed his plan, it's not for us to question as if it can really come to pass. Instead, we should thank him for his plan and let God and God alone work as he only he can. And that concludes our lesson for this week.